Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradfoe Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradfoe Show. That's delicious. Returning to the Bradfoe Show for the eighth time, I think, in your illustrious WEI.com career, John Tomasi. Now, is it eighth or ninth? Because I did the one from Oakland while I was still at the Herald, but we knew I was coming here. Mm. So I don't know if that counts. We'll have to go to the, the record books. Honestly, that. that's when this, the, the bar for the podcast were really, really low, when I'm calling you for Oakland, from yeah. Oakland. It's like, I need to do something. I'll call John Tomasi in Oakland and break down the Red Sox A series. I don't even know why. I, why did I call you in it Oakland? It was windy, and I was up on the roof of the building. I don't remember what we were talking about, but it was something. I think you were trying to introduce me to the EI audience. Oh, oh that's right. Okay, and and since then there's been nonstop love and adulation, adulation. Yep, yep. biggest um, uh, something in Boston. Which I think it, hero. You know, in the spirit of the the segue, I will segue right into spirit, speaking of adulation and love. Uh, we are going to today talk about the dynamic that is covering the Red Sox, and or no, covering any team professional team and getting into confrontations and having relationships with players and, and dealing with all the stuff that recently came up with David Price in the Red Sox clubhouse. And, and really not even uh, just that day, which was, uh, what's today? it would have been Wednesday when David Price blew up at some reporters after the Red Sox-Yankees game. But also, you know, leading up what David Price was doing leading up to that, we can talk about that because I do think that it is a good lesson, lessons to be learned, and, and I've done a couple different stories on it, talking to John Lester and talking to Beckett and, you know, what you should do and what you shouldn't do to to manage the Boston dynamic, and, and I don't think David Price is listening to anybody when it comes to this stuff. Um, but let's this, this start, John, with the the confrontation that happened in New York. Neither one of us were there, right? Correct? Correct. All right, correct. I was driving home. You were at home. But we heard about it. We've talked to different people about what happened. And what happened with David Price was evidently waiting for Evan Drellick after the game. He was upset, uh, evidently, about some tweets, uh, which I think it was sort of more of things had been building up to that point. Uh, This was based off the Dan Shaughnessy article which came out where, where David Price had said some things, basically saying he's not doing any individual interviews anymore. Uh, so Price and in, in Evan, I guess Price was yelling at Evan, and then he carried that over into the clubhouse where he sat at his locker, didn't go anywhere. A couple other writers, Steve Buckley, I think Ian, went up to him um, and got the same sort of reaction, you know, screw you, blah, blah, blah. What was your when you heard about this? We'll start here. When you heard about this, what was your biggest takeaway? Uh, what was what was the thing that jumped to mind about how the entire thing was handled? Yeah, that David Price is going down just a completely unnecessary road, and this was even before all we heard about all the post game stuff with Evan and everybody else. 
when the Shaughnessy thing came out, you read that. I'm not doing personal interviews anymore. And I just I want to take a step back and sort of say, David Price, you've had it easy. For a guy who may, you should put a call out to Carl Crawford and ask him what it was like for his entire time in Boston. That's somebody who was under assault from day one. It's very easy to forget that David Price got the kid glove treatment last year. I mean, this is a guy who came in $217 million. They had effectively chosen him over John Lester, who was, I don't want to say a franchise icon, but he could have been if he had stayed here. He was on his way to that. Multiple World Series winner, the whole thing. They prioritize Price over him. Price shows up, gets off to a terrible start, kind of writes the ship, has an okay season. I, I think... You know, Dan is entitled to his opinion. I think he is vastly overstating how, quote-unquote, good David Price was last year. 17 wins, but didn't live up to expectations, well, I think, and I, he'd be the first to admit yeah, that. I think that it, when people say that, it, it fits a narrative that they want to want to push. Either you can, you can certainly make the argument David Price had a really good year, and it was an undervalued year because you say the 17 wins, the innings pitched, the strikeouts, mm-hmm. but then you look at, how what was it like eight starts of 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 five run five innings or less or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then the postseason. I yeah. mean the postseason matters. That's what he was signed to do. You were signed to come here and win a playoff game. So this is all set up. So the setup is to say David Price has not been treated that badly. I mean, he certainly hasn't been treated badly by the media. And even talk radio, I mean you can say like, oh our morning guys are tough or there's another show in town that does an impression of him or whatever. But even that, the context of that is off, and I think he's going to have a bounce back year. He'll be better this year than he was last year. He has not been under this assault. So when he reacts the way he has, to get back to your question of four minutes ago mm. that I've been meandering about, when he reacts that way, you, you just want to sort of shake him and say, you have no idea what it's like to actually be on the receiving end of this stuff. People have treated you pretty well. Well, it comes back to what I just – I think I'm not alone in saying this and writing it and, and just wanting to scream it. You are making life so much more difficult than it needs to be. Yep. And this isn't sort of subjective. This is, this is a fact. We have seen guys come in here, and it's very simple what you do. The formula is very, very simple. Even when you suck, even when you're going – getting killed from all different corners – and he's not the first guy to handle this poorly, but you should know that you are handling it poorly. And it's funny, John, because this thing, I think so much of this is based on Twitter. And the, the confrontation with Evan was was a example of this. What did Evan even tweet? It, well, that's the point. Nothing. That's I the mean, point. I mean, I read it. It and was it, about rules and regulations. Yeah, but it, it goes back to, but that's what set him off, evidently. I mean, this is what set David Price off. We probably can guess that it was more than this, sure. but Twitter is what set him off. And this goes back to when you wrote the story. You interviewed David Price. Was he in Detroit? He was in Detroit, Detroit and Toronto. I did it twice because yeah. the first <laughs> one job. was such Good a success. Work. Good work. I wrote it again. Uh, you might not remember me, but I'm the <laughs> one who asked you about Twitter. I want to ask you about Twitter again. And he said, and tell us, tell once again, tell us, tell, sure. the, I tell mean, the listening just, audience what he said. Yeah, I mean, the gist of it was that every time he got something particularly negative from a fan base, he knew what was from Boston. He knew it was from Boston. And I think the subtext of it, and shame on me for not asking this follow-up, given what we know now, but the subtext of it was clearly race-related stuff. When I hear things, there are things, the nastiest things I hear, I know where they're from. I know they're from Boston. And so that was the dynamic that he already knew about before he signed here, which is why Dave Dombrowski had to beat the St. Louis offer by not $10 million or $20 yeah. million, but 30, you know, 30 plus million, whatever it ended up being, because he knew he didn't want to be here and he knew he wasn't a fit here. And now he's proven it. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know where it goes from here because he has pitched well, and that's ultimately what matters is, is pitching well, and he's going to get another chance. I don't know when this thing drops, but tonight or slash Thursday in Yankee Stadium. He needs to deliver because he's put a bullseye on his back that did not need to be there. Well, and Ghost, when he came here, and he'll say up and down, this isn't a money grab. It wasn't about the money. It was a chance to win. 
but Theo was on with Theo Epstein was on and said you're right, he had no problem saying the Red Sox offer was fifty million dollars more. Yeah. But the Cardinals, who were reportedly the next in line, they were significantly lower. We have all the evidence, like you said, about Boston, the challenges that he was going to face in Boston. It was it was the American League, by the way. It was not the National League. He couldn't hit everyone. He's going to want to hit. He's going to want to go to the National League. All of Where that. did that come from, by the way? It was, it you was, know? Yeah, like, that know. was out of the blue. Like, all of a sudden, oh, he really wants to hit a, like, a career but, American but this leaguer. Is, but this is the thing, too, is that we thought – we heard David Price, great teammate, David Price, great guy. Mm-hmm. Most, both of those might be true. Right now, I don't think the second one is true. I, I mean – I don't even know if the first one can be true because you're bringing unwanted attention. Yeah. We talk about that. If you're a teammate of his, are you happy to hear him airing out a reporter the night before he starts? No. I'm not. No. No. But, you know, they live in the insulated world, so they're sort of like, yeah, yeah bleep you, these guys. you go, go get them. But, if, but we thought, oh, maybe he is the type of guy who will turn down $20 million a year to hit. You know, that sort of thing. As it turned out, as you said, the Red Sox do what they always do when they really want a guy, and they outbid everyone by a crap load. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, you take the money, you come here, that's fine. You know, and so you get here, and you, then you talk to him about that social media stuff, and what did he say? I'm not changing. I'm not going to change. I'm, I don't have to change. I'm going to just be myself. And my answer to that all along, all the way up until this confrontation the other night, was you have to change. This, you, you can't do what you did in these other places in Boston. And one of the examples of that was that after he lost the playoff game, he goes to Hawaii and hashtag, you know, Owen, what was Owen 7 or Owen yeah. 8, whatever. At least I can't lose a playoff game in Hawaii. People in Boston don't want to hear you be do this this sort of passive aggressive jokey thing after you had a large part in ending their season which we know with Red Sox the difference here is the investment that people put in not only emotionally but financially yeah people do not want to joke about the end of a year particularly when you are paid so much money and being counted on to not have that end of the year happen and it's weird because there's a fine line like self-deprecation in the general sense is good you know it shows you don't take yourself too seriously but it's a tone thing and when he says that stuff can't lose a playoff game out here your reaction isn't to laugh and be like uh, David Price, he knows, you know, he knows what his rep is and he's having a laugh at it. It's good. He's not taking it too seriously. Your re- your re- reaction is is kind of a grimace. It's like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, no, you don't need to say that. You don't need to say that. And I, I don't know what a better way to fr- – I don't think that – you don't address it that way. You don't You don't address it at all because right. you know what it says? It says this is in my head. You, you the know playoffs you, are in my head and now Boston's in his you head. You address it like Rick Porcello did – after he had that sucky year. Yeah. I'm just, which is basically, I'm going to try to do better. Yeah, I'm going to go win a Cyo. Right. I'm gonna, yeah, I guarantee it. <laughs> I guarantee it. Uh, but this goes back to, with the price stuff, it goes back to, okay, you, you came through the offseason, and maybe he settled down a little bit. Maybe someone talked to him. I don't know. But then you get to winter weekend. He goes on with Trenny and Tomasi, says all the right things. You guys asked all the questions. I will say this. Can I just say yeah. very quickly? So... We asked – that was right after the Pete Abe story about Boston and he had heard things – yeah, he had heard things in Where the stands. Where was it in the 15th paragraph? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was in that story, yes. and, you know, we – when we aggregated that story, yes, we, found we it. put it in the first paragraph. <laughs> uh, but asking him, I assumed – and I'm sure you would have felt the same way. He's got to be, he knows this is coming. Like he knows this question is coming. And so we asked it, you know, respectfully. And you could see he did not want to be talking about that at all. And not in the way of like, I know you have to ask this, but I'd rather not talk about it. It was like, why are you asking this? That was sort of the, that was just the vibe I was getting from him as we were asking it. And it surprised me, frankly, because it's like this, Say what you want. This is unfortunately a big deal. It's a world we live in, and you're going to be asked about it. And the fact that he didn't wasn't really ready for it then, and it seemed to put him in a little bit of a foul mood, almost was like foreshadowing for everything that's happened. Well, now. so uh, thinking back, I think the media sessions. Though, there's a media session, and then he goes and does the radio and does Nesson. And the media session was before, I think. And if I remember right, the race thing wasn't was bizarrely not asked. And I think it was there. So I guess I'm partly to blame for that. But 
it wasn't and so maybe that was one of the reasons why he he was a little surprised but still you come away from that winter weekend and you go into spring training and you feel like okay he's he's in a better place he's yep. got his head around things even then like you talk about the tweets and and you know I just want to get better he's saying all the right things you get to spring training and you know he wasn't like the spring training before where you're you're doing everything and anything with him yeah He's a little bit guarded, but still, he's available, and he talks about stuff, and he sort of, you can tell, he had made up his mind that he wants to talk about things on the baseball field. That that, that was his thing, and I think maybe someone said, just focus on the baseball Which is field. fine. Yeah, absolutely fine. And then you go to, to me, it was when he did the article with Stan Grossfield, riding in cars with Stan, and uh, halfway through that car ride, he starts talking about these riders didn't get to didn't even try to get to know me. They didn't ask about my charity, and obviously, people were going to pluck that out yep. and use it like they did. So now he's getting ripped again. That's when it went bad. Yeah, and, and then he got hurt. Then he got hurt. Yeah, and and that's when like the second half of spring training, it was like very difficult to approach. Um, you know, and after he had the charity thing, I actually went up to him. I asked him about something else. He answered. I forget what it was. It's fine, but then I said, "Do you want to talk about your charity?" Because you said we don't ask about your charity. No, Lester Holt's got that covered. <laughs> oh my, you know. So okay, whatever. It, it is what it is. But we can't have it both ways. So, but still, you go into the season, and now he's hurt, and now he's being asked all the time about how's your elbow, how's your elbow, and then there's some, you know. Are you gonna have surgery on your elbow? And he's always at his locker. He was always at his locker. But just because he was at his locker, I don't know how available he was. Like, so I tried talking to him, I don't know, a month ago or something like that. And it was very, like, dismissive. Yeah. And I, I watched other people sort of do the same inside the market. Now, outside the market, people would go up and talk to him a little bit. But very dismissive of, like, not looking in the eye, sort of looking around. And that I had a problem with that. Just this is my own thing. Yeah, but human Human decency. being, you yeah. think, right? But then you get to the point, where like, well, if you're going to, like... If we're we're going to get a lot of sympathy for that, by the way. Yeah, but I, I don't care. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's, you can say, you can look me in the eye and say, no, I'm not, t like what he did with Shaughnessy. Yeah. Look me in the eye, say, no, I'm not doing individual inter interviews anymore. Okay, that's fine. But then, it, so what I'm saying is that this year is sort of was going down that road, and, and as... You know the constant questions about his elbow. He got you could tell he was getting more and more frustrated leading up to the thing in Pawtucket. He doesn't talk in Pawtucket, and I don't. I think you would agree with me that like it's like okay, that's part of your job, right? It's and beyond that, it's it just it creates so that one or two minutes. Say how long would that have lasted? Three to four minutes max, right? Yeah. Post game. So those three minutes that you saved and those few questions that you didn't answer open the floodgates for all kinds of questions, criticisms, every, everything. And it was completely unnecessary. And it just goes back to what we've been talking about from the very beginning here, which is that he's bringing stuff down on himself that doesn't, that was, doesn't need to that be. That was in, you know, the, wrote about it. That was to the point of, like, what are you doing? That like, You just said. You, Could the Red Sox have liked that? There's no chance no. the Red Sox are like, good job, you no, handled that well. No, Zero it, chance. People who are here know, like, know exactly, they agree with exactly what we're saying. Why are you making life so difficult on yourself? And like Beckett said to me at the time, he's like, be boring. No, Beckett stopped talking too, so yeah. there, you have to weigh that. That was, into, that was my fault. Yeah, yeah. you asked about velocity, <laughs> how dare you? Um, but... But you, you're making life so difficult on you. And so we're going down this sort of David Price timeline, and I think the reason why we're doing this is just because it ended up with the confrontation, which, which by all accounts was he w it was insane. It was This wasn't just w you've been in confrontation, confrontation, I've been in confrontation, and there's different levels of it. Yep. But this was people who were there saying this was a side of David Price they had never seen before. This wasn't the passive-aggressive David Price. This wasn't, I don't have time for you, David Price. This was, once again, we weren't there, but very direct, screw you, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I would love to talk to someone. I'm trying to think. And God, it's funny. Who's on the beat now? Silverman would be. Was Silverman on this trip? No, he no. wasn't. So somebody who was here in 01, because I was there. 
the morning that Carl Everett got in a fight with Darren Lewis and had they needed to be dragged into the shower, like separated, screaming at each other. I was standing a foot from Carl Everett when he went on the hole. Any bleepers from the globe? Bye, bye, bye. You and your curly-haired boyfriend. That whole thing with Gordon Eads. I was there when Derek Lowe screamed, go ask that mother bleeper in there the night that he didn't close Joe Kerrigan's first night as manager, like welcome to Boston, (laughs) Joe Kerrigan. And I figured that was the most dysfunctional thing or just the craziest scene that you would ever see. I would love to talk to someone who was there for that, who could compare what happened last night. Well, what's interesting too, and before we get into like sort of that dynamic of when you get in a confrontation with a player, but... I on off a t- I retweeted like Buck's story on it, which is a good column. Yeah, it's a very good. Column. And I retweeted that, and I got a trickle of tweets responses. You know, some of them were just like doesn't matter as long as he pitches well. And there is that element. That I, there is certainly that element. We can't ignore what happened because if nothing else, it happened where everyone was there to see it. Yep. Um. So, but there is that element of that. If he pitches well, who cares what he does to the media? Lackey, Lackey is such has become such a good example with David Price, and who would have ever thought that? It's unbelievable. John Lackey was basically the first uh, evolution of of David Price mm-hmm. without Twitter, without him checking Twitter. Like he was doing this all off of probably hearsay. I don't get the sense that TMZ he, getting his TMZ phone number. getting his phone number. Yeah. John Lackey wasn't wasn't pushed along by Twitter where, you know, he, but he had the same feelings and was sort of saying the same stuff that David Price is saying, just he didn't have Twitter to keep pushing. And you know what the difference was? Everybody thought, even people who liked him thought Lackey was a jerk, (laughs) you know, like Price didn't come here with that reputation. Right. But people, but it was the same thing in the sense that he was liked by his teammates in that clubhouse. He was like good teammate and everything else. Yeah. I mean, he was revered as a teammate, which, we thought that's the what I thought we were getting with David Price because that's what you heard. He was the alpha. He was the team leader of a pitching staff. He came in and took over that Toronto staff, like the whole thing. The, all the young Tampa pitchers swore by him. So you thought you were getting that guy plus someone who was smart and articulate and all that. Maybe words that we wouldn't necessarily apply to Lackey necessarily. Yeah. You know, so Price seemed like the total package, but what we found is – is that he's just so hypersensitive, and and I don't know what it's based on, but it's I can't sit here and say it's going to be harder for him to have a Lackey-style turnaround because the fans haven't really turned on Price like they turned on Lackey. And the fact of the matter is, if Price continues to pitch like he did last week matter. in Baltimore, none of this will matter. No. However, he I think we can agree, if if he had just left it at blew off the media in Pawtucket, who cares? Drop in the bucket, whatever. He comes back, he pitches well. This thing between the Shaughnessy story and the Evan thing, because they're really getting to the heart of, especially that Shaughnessy interview, what do you like about Boston? I love my teammates. I love my team. It's like nothing about he loves the city, nothing about he loves the fans, nothing about he loves, certainly doesn't like the media, which is fine. But he's nearing a point where he's going to turn not media against him, he's going to turn fans against him, and that's where this becomes problematic Well, for him. you know, and so it's a good question. So if you, if you just stopped with the Shaughnessy article, so Shaughnessy published that article, whatever it was, six o'clock on Wednesday, and it became a talker. And there was quotes in there, and, and to me, like the quotes, the biggest quote was what you just said: "Hey, you know, I like my team, and so forth and so on." Not definitively saying I love pitching in Boston, but whatever. And then the other thing was these guys had their chance. I'm not talking to them, which you know that's our thing, I guess. No one, probably no one cares about that. No. But I'm still like, are you kidding me? Really? Are you kidding me? Like what? And this, I don't think it's to the level that some people are pushing it. Like the beat writers are are were so nice to this guy. We're so nice to this guy, and never said anything bad. And even when he pitched bad, said how great he was. But I, I, this, this. You guys had your chance, and you blew it. Thing to the people who are there, to and we can go down the list of people who are just sitting there, like, what are you talking about? Why are you yelling at me? Yeah, and this isn't like I don't like you, I don't dislike you, but why are you saying I had my chance? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, no, and no one cares about that. So my my question is, is that if that Shaughnessy article just stopped, if we just had that, and we didn't have the blow up after the game. 
does that make it does that does this sort of go away because once like you said it's this is all right he's not talking to the media oh well as long as he pitches well but yep. this this thing after the game shows you a different side of him the side of him which people like to criticize sure it, it if, yeah it escalated the whole situation without question and it also put more of a laser focus on all of the negative attributes that we associate with price in boston and the more that those get played up and the more those are in the back of people's minds when he pitches and pitches poorly he's now that much closer to having no margin for error in terms of support you know fan support and all that kind of stuff and you will see and this isn't because people are pro media or anything like that but it's the anti-Boston, you know, subtext of everything that he's saying that are, it's, that's what's going to cause fans to turn on him. And so to get back to your question, the Shaughnessy article by itself, if he pitches well, it goes away, and maybe that's ultimately the case either way. But when you add in the blow-up afterwards, you know, like Carl Everett, was there a lot of love loss for Dan Shaughnessy when Carl Everett was going after him? No, you had all your message board kind of people who, mm. you know, shank and this and that. But it turned. It turned pretty dramatically for Carl Everett. And it was, again, it was an escalation. And I think no no good comes of this kind of thing because it does eventually affect how fans view a guy. Yeah, and and I just wonder, with Shaughnessy, here's, here's, here's another question. Shaughnessy writes this column. Yep. The, the thing I think you and I were both surprised at the tone he took, which was – which was leave David Price alone, he's good, and just let him be, and he's been unfairly criticized, which is – it was bizarre. And, and when Dan's writing that column, he's obviously a smart guy. He has to also know why he's writing those other paragraphs. The paragraphs he's writing with quotes around them are going to do exactly the opposite. Yep. Are gonna, he, he has to know that. So, But would Dan write that, that tone and saying leave David Price alone – if if he hadn't written that story and what happened after the game happened. Because Dan understands the dynamic of the media, and Dan understands that it's hard to say leave a guy alone when he's acting like he did after the game. And I'm not just talking about having a problem with a writer, but by all accounts, also just acting like an asshole yeah. like after the game. Just to people who didn't deserve to be treated like that. And... And I'm sorry, I am factoring the human element. I just have to because we are, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, we are around these guys a lot. Just I, yeah, But, I mean, I understand that, but fans do not care about I know. that. And I understand so that, I'll, too. So I'll stick to my question, though. Yeah. Would Shaughnessy have changed his tone, you think, at all, knowing if, if he was there to witness what, what happened – would he have changed his tone? Yeah, at I don't Price see how. Yeah, I don't see how you can write the column the way he wrote it after an outburst like that. Yeah. and and listen, I've heard some people say, "Oh, the Globe, it's coming from on high," you know, to be good to the Red Sox. And I, I know some people here at the station feel that way. I, I don't buy that. I don't buy that for a second. I do think Shaughnessy has always embraced the role of contrarian a little bit, and the contrarian take on David Price right now particularly now, but even when he wrote that yesterday, was this guy's under siege, you know, fans don't like him, whatever. That, that's the easy one. David Price isn't cut out for Boston. That's the easy column. So he, he, went, he took the 180 on that one, and it certainly was something that we were all talking about. And what was interesting was we were talking about it half because of what David Price said and half because of the angle that Shaughnessy took. So in that sense, as a columnist, I think he did a good job. Oh, yeah, he did a good job, and then it was a gift from the gods. For Steve Buckley oh. and the Herald, I mean, you, 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 we've all been in that situation where somebody, your competition, gets a good interview and gets a thing that everyone's going to be talking about, and and I'm, I'm guarantee that Buck went down there after the game, said, "Well, you know, I got to play catch up a little bit now. And I have to at least try to get something from him, and he might blow me off. He got something better. Yeah, <laughs> he got something. This because all of a sudden the thing. Yeah, they're talking about the Shaughnessy." column but they're talking about what happened off of the Shaughnessy column more don't you think oh absolutely yeah. I mean this is all part of one thing now it, it's sort of like the Shaughnessy thing started the ball rolling that led to Evan apparently getting his head chewed off after the game but that is now the story the story is not 
I don't think people are saying today, David Price isn't going to talk to reporters uh, on any day other than when he starts. Now it's like, what is wrong with David Price that he's blowing up at people who don't even necessarily deserve it? So another topic of conversation is, so what do you do in those situations? The situation which, let's, let's stick to Evan, Evan Drolick yep. and Comcast, because I think that the, the you know what happened to Buck was, you know, would any other day would be classified as a pretty significant confrontation. Yep. And I think, you know, again, I think some other people were – uh, also confronted in the same way, but it was Evan, which it was the, probably the longest and yep. mo- most pointed. What do you do in those situations? So you you've been in that situation before. I've been in that situation to a certain extent before. You walk in, this guy is ready to air you. Oh, give me an example of what you do, what the what the what the timeline is yeah. once this kicks into motion. Yeah. So if you do this job long enough, and if you do it halfway decently at some point you're going to upset somebody that's just how it goes and so I can think of probably four or five real confrontations I've had over the years and they all end the same way you have it out usually it's you getting yelled at sometimes it's you yelling back it depends you have it out cooler heads prevail the next day or day or two later you know there's a makeup session, an explanation. Hey, this is what I was trying to say. Hey, I understand you have a job to do. We both have a job to do. And in every single case, every single case, my relationship with whoever it was ends up much better. Francona, Grady Little, Rodney Harrison, Corey Dillon, maybe not Corey Dillon, hmm. but, but you know, <laughs> so down the list. And I'll give you an example of Rodney Harrison. So Rodney Harrison, I'm covering the Patriots. There's, uh, it was the undefeated season in the middle of that season. And late in the year, I had a good relationship with him, I thought. I asked him a random question, and he just blew up in the middle of all the cameras. I'm not talking to this guy. This is a bad guy. You're a bad guy. I'm not answering your questions anymore. I'm wondering what the hell, what happened? And it turns out that someone had given him an old story that I'd written like months, two months earlier from week four or five in that season. And it was it was actually pretty brilliant on the part of the Patriots. I have to give them credit for this. Somebody found an early edition Herald story where I had written something unflattering about Rodney. But by the end of the game, and that just went in the first edition of the paper, far away. By the end of the game, it was it was a totally different story. And so that thing only made it to like 2,000 papers in the Berkshires. But somebody found it and cut it out and highlighted the unflattering part about Rodney and, and put it in his locker two months later. When they were trying to keep everybody motivated about the you know sixteen and zero and all that stuff, and so he showed it to me, and you know the, how could you write this? This is disrespectful. Blah blah blah. I was like, I explained. I let me show you what I actually wrote after the game is totally different. It was the exact opposite. We had it out. It was a much better thing with David Price and Evan. I don't know how this is going to play because the way Price is reacting is so clearly not about Evan. It's this over the top self-actualized, self-inflicted view of of how everyone is just has it in for him that I don't think it is really jives with reality. I don't know if there's going to be that kind of makeup session because I don't think Price is in that place right now, and that's a little scary. What do you do? Why is going on? When you're getting yelled at? Yeah. Uh, so you have two things. One is to yell back. One is to say, can we take this somewhere else? You know, like... If you want to have it out with me, that's fine, but let's not do it in public. Let's go over there. Let's go behind, you know, one player once took me behind the clubhouse a little bit, you know, a Red Otherwise Sox known player. as the woodshed. Took me to the <laughs> woodshed, yes. Uh, and so at least it's private, you know. But a lot of times you just sort of have to let them yell, you know. And it, it, it depends on what they're saying. Yeah. You can certainly defend yourself. I don't know how I – th- I imagine Evan was pretty shocked. Because oh, well, this one came out of nowhere. Well, so uh, according to, you know, I talked to Evan and, and I've talked to other people. I mean, he's waiting for him. Was my Rodney Harrison story boring, by no, the way? No, you were, you were You were looking, no. you were looking no, around. I was, so, so, <laughs> I, was drinking, I was just taking a, a, a quick moment to sip on my delicious apple pie five-hour energy. Ah, um, glorious. So, so good. Um, but... You said you talked to Evan. Yeah, well, David Price was waiting for him. Yeah. So everyone's herded down. You're going to talk to the manager. You're thinking of a way to, to write about this awful game. And then there's David Price waiting for you. You're going to have to talk to you and pull you aside. Um, and, and then it just, by all accounts, just goes off the rails out of, the, out, out of nowhere. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, I don't know how Evan reacted, but I think that he probably tried to reason with him. You can't reason with him. Yeah. And that's the other thing about it. And I'll tell my story in a second, but 
that, that you can't reason with them. This is like this is the equivalent of when I was at the Gloucester Times and the JV the the mother for the JV field hockey uh, player calls. Why don't we get as much coverage as the football team? <laughs> and then you explain for fifteen minutes why you don't. Yep. She doesn't listen, and she just yells some more. This it it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. So I'm sure that Evan tried to reason with him and say, "Well, what's the big deal? Whatever." The narrative has already been formed and pushed way down the road by David Price and whoever. So I will say, I think it's important if you're in that situation not to back down. You know? Yeah. Don't well, let him like run you over with that giant tank that he does. Yeah, so which which leads to what do you do? What do you, you what how do you want so clearly David Price was unprofessional like by, by what he did. Yeah. Um and instead of saying I have this problem, what are you doing? And we've seen that happen. I remember I wasn't there, but I think Nick Punto did something along those lines in where he's oh, in Toronto. In yeah. Toronto, right? But I it was, was there for that. Yeah, but it, but it was very reasoned and like this has been happening. What it wasn't like yelling and screaming. You know what? That was a good example because that was they were mad at a reporter who had tweeted something you know that they didn't like, and it was uh, was it Marlon Bird, Cody Ross. No, I thought it was Marlon Bird. Okay, did go they ahead. have Marlon Bird at some yeah. point? Yeah, he did. Yeah, so it must have been him. He started yelling at the reporter, which was totally unprofessional, in in front of the entire clubhouse, yelling about it, and he was not a good fit here, and he was gone yeah. not long thereafter. And Punto pulled the guy aside and had a very quiet one-on-one thing, which is generally how that stuff is handled. Right, and you would like to think it's handled that way a lot more than it is, but in baseball, it's it's just the reality that people have problems, and they usually they snipe at you from the corner of the clubhouse, and the reporters are in the middle of the clubhouse sniping like side, between each other, and there's no there's not any honest conversation of hey I had a problem with what you wrote or why did you write that or this is why I wrote it. It, it just rarely rarely happens. Yeah. So in this case, you get to the end of it. Um, what as the writer who are for lack of a better term is being attacked. Um, what do you want? You what do you want? Do you want the apology? Do you want just a conversation? And I, I never give a. Sh- I never care about an apology. No, no, but that's my point. Yeah, and I think I, I said that to you last night. Say, if I'm having like I don't care. Apology doesn't mean anything to me. No, is that I, what I want to do? Is I want to get in a room with a guy and I want to scream at him. And this is means nothing to anybody but myself. But like. And and have him feel what what you had to feel. Oh, see, I'm I'm totally the opposite. Yeah. I don't need to yell at you. I don't. I know, need but you're you not to, a yeller. Though. I don't. Yeah, I don't need you to apologize. I mean, I have had those. We've all had those confrontations at some point where you walk out of whatever office you were in. Everyone's like, "What the hell just happened in there?" But my thing, you ask what Evan should want. Evan should want David Price to recognize that Evan is in there to do a job and that he's going to continue doing that job and that David Price owes him at least the base, the lowest level of respect to allow him to continue doing his job. And so if I'm Evan, that's all I want. Listen, I'm going to cover your starts. I'm going to ask you questions after your starts, and I would hope that you would answer them professionally, and even if you hate me, that you'd still give me the time of day. I mean, that's... That's how I'd be looking at it. I would. I agree with that, but I still want to get in the room. You still want to? Yell. I want the padded cell. <laughs> still, but it, it, you know, it's so. Um, but I, in terms of my story or an example that I can give, was with Terry Francona, and Terry Francona was up upset over something I wrote about Mike Lowell, um, and so basically before the game, he's like, "What did you write about this?" Like he that he blew up a trade. I said the trade was derailed. Use the one word, trade was derailed. Yeah, Blue Jays. So he thought I knew more than I did, and and I didn't. And I'm like, why are you so upset? Why don't you go check it in after the game? Maybe we can talk. Well, yeah, we will check it or whatever. But you you know whatever you knew more. You're saying this. You're saying that basically the team derailed it instead of Lowell derailing it. All right, so whatever. I go up, game ends. Red Sox blow the Blue Jays out. I see him walk in. I'm like, oh, did you look at it? Figuring, like, okay, he come to his senses. Uh, yeah, yeah, come in here. So we look at the computer. I'm looking at it. It's a derailed. One word, derailed. It, you could be – it's t- a totally, like, innocuous word. It can be anything. That's why I wrote it because I didn't know why, why this trade didn't happen. And he's like – and I asked all the coaches in the back, and they all said this. 
And that's where I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And so now I know it's what we were talking about, which is it, it doesn't matter what I say. This guy is now it, – it was it's sort of like I think this price thing was. was much more to it. I mean, there was – he had a problem with the, the, my relationship with Lowell. He wasn't getting along with Lowell at the time. So it was deeper-seated than just this. And now this was the opportunity for all of that to come out. So he starts yelling. Now I'm getting angry, so I start yelling back like I didn't – you know, I didn't – write that to be motherfucked by a bunch of coaches in the back and oh no no and then he gets into the other lol stuff and so ultimately we weren't going to get anywhere and that's what you realize in those moments where you aren't going to have any you aren't going to kind of find any common ground in no, those conversations the next day or and, two days later. well so and i think that you when you had a francona thing i think later something with francona later i actually remember i think i talked to you about this said what I did, which was worked. I don't think it worked in your case, but what I did was after the fact, I went up and I emailed all the things I wanted to say, which you don't get a chance to say in that moment. Yeah. You're not thinking clearly. You're not being allowed to say it. He's not, he's not thinking clearly. This is what I want to get across email. And yeah, I tried that. That didn't work. Right. But it was, like, but it worked the next day was fine. Yeah. And I, but, I have a great relationship with Francona, but just for that one particular, I don't even remember what it was. It was something about Pedroia, but whatever it was was upsetting, and we both sort of had to get our sides out and get it out of our yeah. system. Then it was fine. But but that but that, I guess that was my lesson, which didn't work for you, but it worked for me. So I don't. That's all I care about, which is just sort of okay. You aren't thinking clearly at that moment. Take a step back. Or try to articulate what you want. It's the JV field hockey mom all over again. You say. All the evidence and all the facts and all the things that you want to say and however they take it from there, that's their problem. And and I I get the sense and this is where the price thing comes in. Well, do I think that if Evan does that with David Price, he's going to be like, "You're right, yeah, you know." No, I think David Price has this in his head. He's not letting it go because people have come up and tried to do this with Price along the way, you know. Which is, hey, you know, I know that you know there was one writer who. He blocked on Twitter. Hey, why did you block me on Twitter? Try to like do that thing. Hey, you want to talk about it? And it doesn't go away with him. I mean, he's it yeah. hasn't. He, and at least to this point, as we see here right now, the evidence is that that sort of tact is hasn't been very effective. Yeah, this feels very different to me. And we talked about various things. And I and I've said with almost without fail, when you have a confrontation like that with a guy, you end up having a better relationship afterwards, you know, cause they, it maybe something came to a head and they finally get it out of their system and you didn't back down. And so they say, okay. And he moves forward. This feels different because this feels like it's not really about Evan. This is about, I don't know if it's about Boston. I don't know if it's about Boston media, but it's something bigger with price. And I guess my question for you, now that I've wrested control of this podcast from you, I would like be the, uh, the Tommaso show. The Tommaso show would be: uh, Does he? Does Price come back from this? Does he come back from this? And at at some point, two months from now, six weeks from now, a year from now, do we look back at this and be like, "Oh, remember when Price was like weirdly feuding with the media? Now it's do you, over." Does he talk to the media? Does he, yeah. Does, just, he, does, does, he does he get past all of this? From yeah. Does one -on -one? he get past all of this and just go back to being the guy he was when he first got here? I right now I don't see. How. I don't. I don't think he does because I think other people have tried to do the say the exact same things that we have. I mean, people who are much more powerful than we are in terms of his world, and he's just he's got this in his head. And it's it's and it is and this is a whole nother conversation maybe but it, it drives me nuts this Boston media this Boston media like the big bad Boston media and and everyone's out to get it and and yeah sure some of it and Boston is different but I always default to this example it's probably terrible but whatever I will continue to default to it Todd Jones when he came to Boston he was writing a column for Sporting News. A week into his time in Boston, he wrote a column about how vicious the Boston media was. A week into his Boston career. Like, and why? Because this is what everybody's telling him. And this leads me to another important part of this equation, which I don't think a lot of people are talking right now. David Price is a leader on that team. David Price is a value teammate. People in that clubhouse look up to him. And... So when they're looking up to him and they're listening to him, 
talk about like how he's talking to us, to Evan, to whoever. Don't think for a second that that's not going to permeate at least part of that clubhouse. And I could take a pretty strong guess that it already has. And, oh, absolutely. And, and add in, you know, add Pedroia because Pedroia on the other side, he's had some issues with things as well with certain reporters. I mean, Evan had a very public, it was on TV quite a bit, yeah. you know, a little confrontation with Pedroia as well. So if you have Pedroia and Price, who both sort of have some anti-media feelings right now, that will permeate the entire clubhouse. In, 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 in one, maybe the, the fans don't care or whatever, but we care because we've covered a lot of teams, we've covered a lot of players, and you would like to think that players – and I think for the most part, for the last since I've been covering the team anyway, the Red Sox have been um, accommodating enough, and uh, there has been enough guys in there who are reasoned and, and can understand that you have a job to do that it's not an issue. But there are young and impressionable is a strong word because they're twenty three, twenty four years old. Yeah, but they're impressionable. They are impressionable. And I'm not, and I'm not, I want to make this clear. I am not saying that he is like this. I don't know for a fact that he is. But Eduardo Rodriguez looks up to David Price, right? Yeah. I mean, I just yesterday, I walked by the dugout. Who were the two guys sitting side by side? David Price and Eduardo Rodriguez. We applauded them for that relationship of being the mentor. Well, part of that mentorship is this is how you should deal with the media. Yeah. And I don't know if he's saying that, but you have to think that after what this happened. And because. Evidently, why this is going on, you have other people like Porcello was in Buck's column said Porcello said something like to Evan about being professional. So clearly, it's Porcello's heard that narrative and gone down that road. And another leader, you know, another right. leader in that clubhouse. Exactly. So, and when you have, in, I'm not saying I don't know if how many guys in that clubhouse have just said I'm not talking to you. I don't think even with Evan, I don't think there's been a lot of that. But certainly in this clubhouse, there's been a whole lot more of avoiding the media than I've ever seen. And, and not because I don't think they're bad guys, but they do it. Yeah, I can't. I can't. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. And this is a halfway decent team yeah. doing this. Yeah. And, and my thing is, I understand that, you know, fans don't care if players talk to the media. And I, I totally get that. And frankly, a lot of times it's no skin off my back. I, I, don't get, I don't get as offended as other people when guys don't talk. However, when you go to, the, go to war with the media as a team, that does not end well because, you know what, that extends beyond it, – it, forget about coverage. Even if the coverage is totally fair and down the middle, we're standing in a talk radio station, a pretty influential talk radio station. There's another one of those in town too. And if you don't think that this kind of stuff – this is raw meat for, for our shows, you know, as it should be – and talk radio drives fan, you know, how fans view players as much as anything that's written. I would argue even more so. I think talk radio is is a much bigger influencer of opinion. And so if you're warring with the media and that becomes a thing on talk radio and we start talking about, you know, is David Price mentally weak or this or that, that's the kind of thing that will turn fans against you. And that's the slippery slope that you risk when you go down this well, road, the nothing, price is going down. If nothing down. else is that, and you talk about how the teammates view it, and I, don't, I guarantee you they view it just as, yeah, you go get them, we're behind you. <laughs> yeah. I learned it from you. Yeah, exactly. This is how you go at him because he's he's been talking crap or whatever. But if we take a step back, well, you know, you're doing this the night before you're pitching. The night before, why are you even doing there? Like, just just get out of there. The night before that you're pitching, and this is your job. This is important. So you're talking about how people might turn on you. If he has, and again, we're taping this before his start, but no matter what happens in this game, we're going to say either he was motivated by it or he was distracted by it. For his sake, we better be saying A. Yeah. <laughs> it better be he was motivated by it. Yeah. Because he's opening himself up to get crushed. Yeah, and so – and, and that goes forward. I mean, that's like the rest of his starts. And it, it's just, you know, there's so many aspects of it. And But it comes back to exactly what you said, which is this is how the world works. And they have to understand. That at the end of the day, he has to understand talk radio is huge. TV talk radio is huge. Twitter is huge. All of it. It's part of the deal. It's part of the job. Just like talking to the media 
and like you said, days of starts, whatever. But part of the job isn't yelling at, like, going nutty on re- reporters. It, it, that's not part of the job. And so it's the whole thing is just sort of baffling. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just say, you know, in conclusion for me, I think you nailed it. This is reinforcing all of the negative narratives about David Price. This outburst yesterday, last night, it's just reinforcing everything that we worry about with him. That's what makes this so problematic, and that's why all eyes are going to be on the Mount Yankee Stadium at 7.05 Thursday. Yeah, and if you're listening to this tomorrow, uh, then all, all eyes, eyes were. were on the mound, yes. Um, all right, well, I think we get to the bottom of it. All, all problems solved. Um, John Tomasi can be heard on Trunning Tomasi. Do you figure out who's on are you Saturday? Not yet. <laughs> we're talking about trying to get Evan on, but that oh, uh, if I were Evan, I wouldn't do that. I got to be honest. Well, he's I think he was supposed to fill in for me on Sunday. He can do both. <laughs> uh, well, who knows? Who knows? Stay tuned. Anyway, it's Trenton Tomasi show Saturdays uh, at prime time hour of eleven a.m. till whenever usually the Red Sox game starts, and also. John is a huge proponent of five-hour energy. And also another thing that he's a huge proponent of is is buying my T-shirts. I am. <laughs> of, of You can go to the at Bradfo Twitter account, purchase the T-shirts right there, or just go to the at Bradfo Show Twitter account if you like Instagram because it all goes to a great, great cause. Rob uh, Bradford. No, not the Human Fund, <laughs> not Rob Bradford, but our executive producer, Mike Grinnell. Who uh, who needs to sell T-shirts in order to eat food? Anyway, thanks. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nano spray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car looking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your time. Every search you make Every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified.